Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been treating you? It's been good. You know, uh, the kids uh, finish school. It's officially summer. The days are long. Baseball season's almost half over. A lot going on. It's a good time of year. Yeah, this is a, this is a hectic time for me. I'm on... <laughs> A bit of a vacation, but it's not exactly the most relaxing vacation. I'm also trying to handle a move and all kinds of all kinds of things, all all different directions. And I'm hoping to get everything settled in time for trade season to really kick in in the middle of next month. So, trying to get every, all my ducks lined up before then, so I can really just focus on the deadline when it's when it's, it's only a month away now. Well, came yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and you feel that you feel it kind of like there's pressure starting to build. Like there's going to be a lot going on in July, right? <laughs> yeah, this very much feels like the quiet before the storm. Like we yeah. we had a couple of those early deals: Orlando Arcia, uh, Willie Adames, and then a handful of other like medium-sized deals. A whole bunch of these little ones that are still trickling through. Mm-hmm. But right now, it feels like this is where teams are going. Okay, this is where we are. This is what we're going to need. Let's let's get into it. We're getting our first real rumors of the trade season. And mm-hmm. it's an exciting time already, and I, I can't wait for what this next month is going to hold. Yeah, all right. Um, but before we get to that, we have a whole podcast episode today. <laughs> so we have <laughs> a lot of different things to cover today. I'm actually excited. A lot of variety on this episode. So we got, as usual, a whole bunch of news, mostly some minor transactions. We won't spend too much time on those. And then our usual trade of the week. We've got an article that John wrote about the starting pitching market that we'll go through and kind of explain. Um, We want to address an article written by Kevin Goldstein of Fangraphs explaining why teams wait until the deadline to make their trades. We found that pretty interesting. And then we'll wrap up with an article from The Athletic about some uh, Atlanta Braves trade proposals that uh, there's some winners (laughs) and some losers in that article. Uh, So that's what we'll close this thing out with. Uh, but before we get into any of that, like I said, we have some news to go through. Um, so just like last episode, we are opening this episode with the completion of a deal from the offseason. So this one's a little bit smaller than the Benintendi deal that we went through last <laughs> last episode and a little less confusing. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, so this is the Rafael Montero deal. Uh, he was traded from the Rangers to the Mariners, I believe, in December, mm. uh, December January, something somewhere around there during the off season. Mm -hmm. And at the time we knew Montero was going to the Mariners. We knew uh, right-handed pitcher, Jose Corniel was headed to the Rangers and there was one player to be named later. So we found out that player to be named later is shortstop Andres Mesa, but it does not really move the needle too much in this trade. So we had Montero at 0.9 million in trade value at the time, Corniel at 0.8 million and Mesa's just at 0.1 million evens that trade out. Was he in the system at the time of uh, this announcement? I can't remember. I don't <laughs> think so. He's such a minor prospect that yeah. it's possible not. Yeah, that sometimes that happens. Yeah, so two teenagers. Uh, Corniel is 17, Mesa's 18. Uh, they haven't really played any games yet, so it's just, uh, you know. A non-elite reliever, Rafael Montero, for a couple lottery tickets on the Rangers' end. And the Rangers have done well scouting uh, some of these international guys, mostly with Preller uh, in the front office. But even since then, they've had some success with international prospects. So hoping to uh, have a little bit of the same here in their return for (laughs) kind of a a reclamation project in Montero that they successfully turned around. So good on them. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting from the Mariners' perspective. I'm still trying to figure out why they wanted Montero, because... 
in the offseason, it didn't seem like they were competing. They're still sort of yeah. finishing their rebuild. So so why trade prospects for a, a closer with limited control? And I'd say they're not as bad right now as people would expect. Um, has has Montero been playing this season? <laughs> Is he hurt? I haven't heard much about I think about he got him. hurt. I, yeah, I mean, same here. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, uh, so he has a 5.29 ERA in 32 and a third innings. That's um, not good. No, not <laughs> ideal. Um, you, you'd assume their plan there was to be able to flip him at the deadline. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and they're they're gonna we'll get to it a little bit later, I believe. Uh, but they're going to be able to do that with Kendall Graveman. It looks like who is really looking like a dominant relief arm for them. Uh, he's he's really seen an uptick in velocity, mm-hmm. uh, but. Montero, not so much success. So <laughs> there's still still a month, and everybody's going to need relief help. Uh, but I'm not sure this whole thing has worked out so well for the Mariners, but it's also relatively low risk. These are two, like I yeah. said, two teenagers. It's, j- it's far more likely that they never make it to full season ball than it is that they're superstars or anything like that. So, Yeah, and, and, and one thing I'll add is that the Rangers – have so much quantity in their farm. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw the fan graphs list that came out a couple of weeks ago, but it was the deepest one they had. And it was like, you know, usually they go down to 50, uh, to, to the 35 plus rating category. And there was like 58 of them or something. I mean, there's a lot of quantity, not that much quality on the top, but oh my gosh, it's a very long tail. And so these two guys were just like, okay, throw them in the, in the midst of all those 58. Like, you know, maybe it's a spaghetti strategy. Some of the, some of those guys are going to stick and about a whole bunch will not. Yeah, and that's that's an organization that you could see needing quantity. Honestly, yeah. there there's not a whole lot at the major league level that you look at and say that's a building block. Yeah, I mean, Joey Gallo isn't going to be around much longer, and then beyond him, what do you have? You have Nick Solak, Nate Lau. These guys are looking good, but not like superstars or anything like that. Yeah. They don't really have any of those big building blocks. So right now, it's kind of talent accumulation. They they really haven't committed to a rebuild. Um, until really this season when they when they traded Lance Lynn in the offseason and Montero, obviously. Um, and you expect them to trade Gallo either at the deadline or in the offseason. So they haven't really committed to the rebuild until now, even though they've been kind of middling for a few years now. And you kind of see that reflected in their system and the lack of talent. So right now it's just accumulate as much talent as they possibly can. And you figure if you got 60 guys who are worth putting on a prospect list, one or two of them is going to blow up. Yeah, right. Hey, well, look, they got they got lucky with Adolis Garcia. I mean, there's right. found money right there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's exactly the type of move a team in their position yeah. should be making. So, yeah. who knows? Maybe one of these teenagers will turn into something along those lines in a few years. But just needed to get that one off the table. That trade okay, is we, officially completed. And we've spent far too much time talking about a Rafael Montero trade. Exactly. We <laughs> Me too. Okay. <laughs> let, we have let's a tendency to do on. that, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into a bit of a an interesting name. The Rays picked up Mike Ford from the Yankees. Uh, mm-hmm. Ford was, uh, I believe he was DFA'd by the Yankees uh, prior to this move. Uh, they just picked him up for cash considerations. The Rays did. I'm scrolling down now to find his value at the time. 0.8. So a little bit higher than the usual DFA fodder, but Ford really hasn't hasn't gotten it going in the majors. He's He's been a, a, a big power threat in the minors, and he had a good rookie year, but hasn't done a whole lot since then. And really just uh, just an extra bat that the Yankees don't need when they have Luke Voigt uh, coming off the injured list. Yeah. So the Rays, on the other hand, they're looking for power in any way they can get it. They're good at 
getting the most out of these fringe kind of guys. He gives me Gmon Choi vibes a little bit. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it, it's a very minor trade, and the Rays even optioned Ford directly to the miners uh, after acquiring him. But it, it's it's interesting, I think. You, you wouldn't be too surprised to look in a year, year and a half from now, and Ford is part of a really productive first base platoon with Yandy Diaz or something like that. Yeah, except the weird thing about Ford is he has reverse splits. Um, he's a lefty hitter that hits lefties well, but not righties. Hmm. I can't figure that one out because it's so mm-hmm. unusual. And, you know, I know people who will say, okay, well, you need a larger sample size over a longer period of time to really, mm-hmm. for, before that really stabilizes. And that's probably true. Um, but yeah, um, I'm curious how they're going to use him if they do. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, a lot of times what happens is, you know, they, you know, sometimes a, a rookie will come up and, and hit well, but then the pitchers adjust and they say, oh, okay, I found your weak spot. And then that, you know, the hitter doesn't usually. So you see the, the, the drop in, in production. And that's, I think, something similar to what happened with Ford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, typically reverse splits, like you said, typically they will normalize once you give a guy enough plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Mark Hanna is one that comes to mind where mm-hmm. in his first couple seasons, he was really crushing righties and couldn't do anything against lefties as a right-handed hitter. And that was weird. And that has normalized over the course mm-hmm. of his career. Yeah. Um, so that's what you kind of expect long-term, but that is something interesting to keep an eye on. And it's something I feel like you see less often uh, from the left side. You don't see as often lefties who really crush yeah. lefties and struggle against righties. So yeah. if, if anything, that might be something that, that kind of suggests even more so that it is a bit fluky, bit small sample size, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Okay. Uh, next one, the Rangers acquired Dennis Santana, right-handed pitcher from the Dodgers, in exchange for left-handed uh, pitching prospect Kelvin Bautista. Uh, this one, I've always had an eye on Santana. He's always been kind of an interesting guy. Um, he, we only had him at 0.3 million in trade value. We had Bautista at 0.6. So there's a difference of 0.3 there, but it's close enough. It's well within our margin of error there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Santana was kind of a another one of those kind of 40-man victims for the Dodgers. They DFA'd him. He had some initial success in the big leagues, kind of like Ford. He had some initial success and then hasn't done much since then. He's had some injuries. He's had some struggles in the in the bullpen for the Dodgers. And it, it's it's an interesting arm. Uh, he throws hard. He throws a high spin sinker. He's interesting but no major prospect or anything and it's really just another flyer kind of in that at garcia mold that the rangers are taking here yeah and you know he's in his last option year and that's always a factor well not mm-hmm. always but quite often with most of these dfas because either they're out of options or they're in their last option year, and you mm-hmm. know it's a lot of roster management so i think that's what happened here yeah, I like I said, I've always been at least interested in Santana, so I'm going to be keeping an eye there, but more likely than not, it's just kind of one of those depth moves that's not going to turn into a whole lot. Yeah. All right, Blue Jays acquired Jacob Barnes from the Mets for Troy Miller. I feel like I've seen Jacob Barnes' name a, a disproportionate number of times for how mediocre he is. Oh my God, what is going <laughs> on with this guy? He's, his numbers are terrible. Our system hates him. It's all negative. You know, it's it's generous to say zero because when it's mm-hmm. negative, we just say, okay, zero, no one's going to want him. And yeah. yet he's and yet he was signed by the Mets and yet the Blue Jays actually gave up a player for him. Although, you know, as you'll note, that player doesn't have any value either. But um, <laughs> it's just like, well, I don't know what they see in him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you said it all right there. <laughs> I, I don't have anything to say about Jacob Barnes. I don't know anything about him, just that he's kind of not good. But no. he throws, like, 
he doesn't even throw it says here his fastball average is 94.4 that used to be throwing hard today that's not really throwing hard no. i'm pretty sure the average mlb fastball is like 93 and a half or something yeah. like that right so he doesn't even throw particularly hard he gives up homers he doesn't have good command like i uh, i mean the blue jays yeah. have been a, a mess in their bullpen. <clears throat> they're on the pitching side they've had so many injuries they're kind of grasping for whatever they can and it, yeah sure whatever see if See if you can fix Jacob Barnes, I guess, but I don't even know what a fixed Jacob Barnes looks like. Can you fix There's, someone who hasn't yeah. shown, who hasn't established a level before he broke himself? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they must be seeing something in stuff or a live arm or something, and he just think, can't get it together. That's all I can figure. But I mean, you wrote an article a while back on the offseason on, on, you know, starting pitchers that the Blue Jays were trying to fix, and it's been sort of middling. Matt's mm-hmm. has kind of fallen off. I mean, like, maybe this is another guy they think, oh, we can fix him, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, jury's still on whether they can actually do that yeah on that note as you mentioned yeah matt's had a strong start to the year and he's kind of fallen off they Mm -hmm. dfa'd tanner rourke who admittedly was the one of that bunch that i was the least confident in Mm -hmm. uh but the the returns on robbie ray have been great he's been pretty solid this year for them so my fantasy team loves robbie ray yeah And I'm giving myself a slight pat on the back for for recognizing that one, but not too much credit because, like like you said, Matt's Matt still has some work to do this season. Right. Okay. Anyway, anyway Troy Miller, he was who was traded for Barnes, um, yes. is a non-prospect. He was a depth, you know, minor leaguer. So mm-hmm. I figured that one is a zero against a zero. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Then last one, actually, yeah, last one of this group here. Uh, the Pirates acquired catcher Taylor Davis from the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for outfield prospect Jose Baroa. Um, I don't see this one in our spreadsheet. No, because we didn't have we didn't have Taylor Davis in our system because he's been out of baseball for a while and there was Gotcha. There was no point because he doesn't have any value right now other than like as a depth minor leaguer, which mm-hmm. was, sounds like he was traded for another depth minor leaguer, so we didn't even bother. Yeah, <laughs> Davis is third catcher type and i think the pirates have had some injuries behind the plate if i remember correctly it might have been a temporary thing i think i recall uh excuse me uh, jacob stallings i think i re- uh, recall him having like a hand issue and michael perez had to get a bunch of starts in a row or something like yeah, that i don't know fine. i'm do you blame me for not following the pirates particularly closely this season uh no cool <laughs> i have a soft uh, spot for the pirates though i do too I, I like underdog teams that mm-hmm. are struggling and are gonna get there and so i keep mm-hmm. an eye on them i like <laughs> the uniforms i like love the stadium they have yeah. they always have some fun players it's got a feel for the pirates um yeah but in this one they just pick up some catching depth uh baroa is 19 he was not on Fangraph's top 51 prospects list for the pirates yeah. um just a, another one of those international lottery ticket types not a big deal not a big guy um just the the type of guy you give up for a 31 year old backup catcher who's been out of affiliated ball for a little bit there you go <laughs> all right now we have one small more group of these minor transactions and it's three guys who we've already talked about in the past handful of episodes because they just keep getting traded they keep going from team to team they're these fringe last reliever in the bullpen last player on the bench type guys that teams like enough to trade for but don't like enough to keep uh so the first one is hunter strickland who the angels acquired from the rays and then a couple weeks later traded to the brewers for cash considerations Mm -hmm. um so we have strickland at a zero and so any basically the cash considerations yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) expect them to be low um 
not a whole lot to say here that we hadn't already said the first time we talked about Strickland. He threw hard, and now he doesn't throw quite as hard, and he's not that good, and potential clubhouse issues, but good enough to be rostered, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, the Brewers you really have had, somebody. <laughs> yeah, the Brewers have had some bullpen issues as well since uh, trading a couple of relievers for Willie Adamas, uh, so maybe this is just kind of backfilling that a little bit. Um, and once again, Strickland is out of options, so that's why he keeps moving around. Yep. All right, then another Rays one. The Rays had acquired Wyatt Matheson from the Arizona Diamondbacks and just today actually traded him to the Mariners. Uh, so he's a utility infielder type, uh, 27, hasn't really done anything. <laughs> another one of these guys. We have him at half a million in trade value, so expect somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood of cash for the cash considerations the uh, Rays will be receiving in return. Uh, they had DFA'd... Uh, Matheson to make room for Wander Franco, who debuted this week, and uh, it's unfortunate that he's a little bit outside of the scope of our podcast. Uh, I don't think he's getting traded anytime soon, no. but what an exciting debut for him. What an exciting thing to have him in the big leagues, as an aside there, um, and it's <laughs> it's fun. It, this is probably something, one of those dumb little things that I'll never forget, that Wyatt Matheson, some guy who 90% of baseball fans have never heard of was the guy DFA'd for Wander Franco. That feels like the kind of thing that'll stick in my head five years from now. For <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a trivia question. Um, yeah. But what, what I'm finding interesting is why do the Mariners keep keep picking up uh, in the scrap heap, like utility infielders? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they picked up Jake Hager, uh, who was mm-hmm. a utility, you know, guy from the Mets. And they have Dylan Moore. They have... Um, I'm forgetting somebody else. Um, Haggerty? I mean, they've got a lot of like these types that have just been floating around. I don't know why. I guess they must need Maybe They're always getting hurt. <clears throat> and it hasn't worked. They've been no. an abysmal <laughs> offensive team. I mean, it's really been like not even stars and scrubs. It's been like above average players and scrubs. <laughs> like Haniger isn't a star. He's very good. He's not a star. Seeger's not a star. And beyond the two of them and maybe Kyle Lewis when he's healthy, outside of those guys, it's just been a mess offensively. No, their stars are coming up in the minors. And, you yeah. know, Julio Rodriguez and Kellenick presumably will get it together the next time he's mm-hmm. called up. I mean, that's – that's and, you know, got some good pitchers. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a good farm there coming. That's where the stars are. Yeah. <clears throat> so I figure, I mean, Matheson profiles is the type of guy who can play a lot of positions, hit well against lefties. He hasn't done that in the big leagues yet. Uh, but that's kind of how he profiles. So maybe uh, I, I think he's a, a bit of a better uh, gamble than a guy like Hager or Haggerty or yeah, any yeah. of these other guys. Um, <clears throat> whereas he could actually be a nice little bench role player on the next good Mariners team if he pans out the way he could. But you just know it, that it's still if, a limited role. You just know that if it, the Dodgers had, had gotten him, he'd turn into the next Chris Taylor. That's exactly. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but I'm not sure if the Mariners can turn him into that. Yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't put money on it. Uh, but speaking of the Mariners, last transaction here real quick. They traded Yaxel Rios, who we talked <laughs> about last episode, to the Red Sox uh, in exchange for cash considerations. He was DFA'd. Uh, by the Mariners prior to this trade. So another one of those situations where 40-man victim, I believe he's also out of options. Um, I'll check. Yeah, he keeps moving around, obviously. So yeah. Be, uh, and that's yeah. another one of those. We had him at zero in trade value, so minimal cash heading back. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's much to say here other than Axel Rios could pitch for the Red Sox. Even though the Red Sox have been good this season, their pitching has been a mess, and it continues to be even more of a mess. It's been interesting to follow the Garrett Richards story here. 
Uh, he's had two atrocious – he had a pretty solid start to his season, and then as soon as the uh, foreign substances crackdown happened, he's had two atrocious starts, and he's been very vocal about yeah. how he just – he has to change everything he's done as a pitcher. He's primarily been a fastball slider guy, and then without those uptick in spin rates that you get from sticky stuff – it's it doesn't work as a fastball slider guy so he's really been trying to figure that out um and and then the rest of their bullpen in general has been a little rough so i don't think axel rios is the answer but you could see him in the big leagues for the red sox yeah he had a promising starter a couple years ago when he was with the phillies and Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's tailed off quite a bit since then he's lost it but i think people are still hoping to recapture some of that what he had Mm All right. Well, that concludes probably one of our more boring <laughs> transaction updates. Hey, don't knock it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope we had some fun. Yeah. Uh, let's hop into our trade of the week now. So this one is actually uh, based off of a real-life rumor, which, in my opinion, those are the most entertaining <laughs> trades of the week rather than ones that are just pure speculation. Uh, so this one's from user Drew2000, and it's a trade between the White Sox and Diamondbacks. So we had in the rumor mill that the White Sox had checked in on Diamondbacks infielder Eduardo Escobar, who's in the last year of his contract, and he's actually hitting pretty well. <laughs> Not hitting for average, but power and on base, and he's a versatile player. He can play pretty much any spot on the infield. Switch hitter. Uh, just a nice piece to have, especially for a White Sox team that just lost Nick Madrigal to a season-ending injury. Uh, so this trade would send him to the White Sox. We have him at $2 million in trade value. And it would also send $3 million in cash to the White Sox in exchange for third base prospect Jake Berger at $1.7 and right-handed pitching prospect Matthew Thompson at $3.3 million. So uh, nothing <laughs> nothing wild here. Just a couple kind of middling prospects for a rental infielder and, and a couple bucks <laughs> to even out his contract a little bit. Uh, yeah. This deal is even for both sides, $5 million in value heading each direction. And so far, our, our users have approved of this trade the white Sox have 15 thumbs up to six thumbs down and the d-backs have 14 up to four down and i think it 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 makes sense here just that the white Sox don't have the greatest farm system to deal from right now and they are it does look like they're going to have a few different spots on the roster to address they can maybe use an outfielder some more pitching as well as an infielder to kind of fill that magical hole so it makes more sense to me for them to be going after guys like Escobar on expiring contracts just to kind of plug those holes for the rest of the season and hopefully revamp uh, going into next year with, with Madrigal Healthy and, and other guys like that. So I, I see the logic here for them. And then the D-backs, it's, it's a, a rental guy. You just want to get what you can from him. And Berger, I think I believe he was a former first-rounder yeah. who immediately had a pretty significant injury. Yeah. His stock has fallen since then. But mm-hmm. former first-rounder, you see there's potential there. And then Thompson, you can always use more arms, especially with the way the D-backs arms have performed this season. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I agree with your earlier point. I think uh, the White Sox would probably be best served um, just filling that magical hole with a rental because they'll have magical coming back. And so... You know, a lot of pundits have said Adam Frazier is a natural fit for the White Sox. And I would sort of agree, but sort of not because he's got that extra year of control. So then what do you do with him next year? Maybe you move him around a bit, but um, but you're going to pay a higher price because of that. And the White Sox have a terrible farm. They don't have a whole lot of prospect capital. So why pay a higher price if you don't need to? So exactly. I think that's why they're talking about Escobar because he's cheaper in prospect capital and he's a rental. Now, in this particular case... Um, 
you know, um, Drew 2000 has cash going to the White Sox. I'm not sure why they would need the cash. I mean, they basically just are, are buying a second prospect, like probably Thompson with it. You know, so it, it's probably more likely to me it would just be Escobar straight up for Berger or something like that. <clears throat> um, so I made that point in the comments. And I will say I apologize for my participation in the rest of the comments because it turned into, hey, too bad the White Sox don't have a guy named Fries. <clears throat> you know, because then you got burger going to the way, <laughs> burger, and then and then it, you know, um, and then Michael K. One hundred and one says, "Well, they have Jace Fry, and soon they'll have Oscar Colas." So another Dumber <laughs> Dave said, "Well, they burger and beer on the on the yeah, D backs could send back beer and." <laughs> This, anyway. this, yeah, this comment thread descended a little bit. It sure did. It was, it was dumb, but we had fun. <laughs> I mean, it's to be expected when your last name is Burger. There's things are going to happen there. The yes. the promotions write themselves if the D-backs did bat him and Seth Beer in the same lineup. It's oh my gosh, can you imagine Arizona's marketing department with that? Yeah, they could they could have a deal on those days, oh, the day that they both debut or something like that. They could have a deal in the ballpark, get a burger and beer for ten bucks or whatever. There you go. Oh, yeah. Come on, guys. I'm giving you these ideas for free. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the trade. I, I think it's, it, we both agree it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we both agree that Escobar, as productive as he is and as nice of a piece as he is to have uh, because of his salary, because of one year of control, because of his age, he's not going to be bringing back anything top line. Yeah. And that makes him a pretty good fit for the White Sox. Um, I think as far as the cash thing, the one thing I could see is... If the White Sox are trying to, I don't, I don't know exactly what their budget is looking like. They, they've never been a team, at least in the recent years, and especially the last couple of years, they haven't been a team that's super pressed for budget. That's saying, oh no, we're up against this limit that we have. We can't spend any more money. They haven't been like that. But you figure if they want to make three or four additions at the deadline, you know, maybe getting a little bit of that cash covered could be helpful. Sure, so. why not? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so there's our trade of the week. Thank you, Drew2000. As usual, if you would like to be featured on an episode with the trade of the week, just uh, submit your trade, and if people like it enough, we might talk about it. So now we have the meat of the episode here. Uh, we got three different articles to go through, and we're going to start with John's here. So John wrote up um, a, a in-depth explanation here on the state of the starting pitching market and why it's kind of a mess <laughs> and why teams that need starting pitching, pitching right now at the deadline are kind of in trouble for a lot of different reasons. So um, I'll let you just kind of <clears throat> grab the wheel here and, and explain what the situation is. Yeah. So the title of the article is the starting pitching market is in shambles and you know, I'll tell you why. So <clears throat> uh, first of all, because of the pandemic and a lot of in the short season last year, we're seeing a lot of players on the IL, but we're also seeing in particular a lot of starting pitchers on the IL. It's a ridiculous number. So number one, the problem is if you if you want to trade for rotation help, you, you you have to kind of pick and choose who's healthy and who's not. And even the ones who are coming off the IL, you're not totally sure if they're ready yet. Number two, you alluded to it earlier with Garrett Richards, the sticky stuff controversy. So all of a sudden baseball is enforcing this. And I know it's the talk of the town the last week or so. Um, and it's changing the spin rates of pitchers. And so now GMs are like, I don't know what I'm getting if I trade for a guy like that. Uh, we quote um, Jed Hoyer, the president of the Cubs, who's like, okay, it's a new five-week season now because we have to you know, get a sample size going, see who's pitching well, presumably without sticky stuff, and who isn't. You know, how much did it affect, you know, pitchers delivery? 
is it causing further health issues? Like Charler Glass now complained about it. Well, if I don't use that and then it changed my arm and then I got injured. So like all that creating all sorts of mess. <clears throat> so those two challenges are really creating a lot of uncertainty. And the last thing you want if you're trading for a guy is a sense of uncertainty. If you're going to give away serious capital for a starter, you want to know, you want to be feeling good that that starter is going to deliver for you when he changes teams. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> and then I go through the list of like a, who might be available. I know there's a lot of bubble teams in order to avoid that. I just sort of, you know, stuck with the obvious sort of sellers, the Tigers, the Orioles, the twins, the Rangers and the AL and a few, you know, Colorado, Arizona, you know, the ones that are the starters that are probably available on those bad teams. And you know what, when we kind of summarize it, you know, and then you sort of do a cross check of like, okay, who checks these boxes? Who's having a really good year? Who's healthy and who's available? And I ended up with one, and that's Kyle Gibson. <laughs> it's down to Kyle Gibson. Somebody's gonna overpay for Kyle Gibson. And that's what you got right now. <laughs> and even that's that's good with an asterisk, right? Because yeah, he's, he's Kyle freaking Gibson, and I'm pulling up his numbers right now. His his ERA is very low. His peripherals aren't bad. No, but... he's doing fine. Everyone knows he's not a 217 ERA guy. His XERA is 341. His FIP is 353. That's probably more in line. And, and teams will be very happy with that. That's the kind of middle rotation arm that a lot of teams need yeah. thanks to injuries or underperformance. But that's not the kind of frontline arm a lot of teams are going to want. Exactly. He, he would fit into a number three, maybe even a four on a mm -hmm. team with a really good rotation like the Padres. Um so, you know, and he's 33 and he's, you know, doesn't have a great track record. So, like, it's possible that he could just regress the rest of this year. Um, now, one thing in his favor is he's also under control for next year at actually a slightly lower salary. He's making $10 million this year, but only 7 next year. The Rangers had sort of worked that out with him when they signed him. So, you're actually getting a little bit of a bargain. So, that's possible that you could he's more attractive from that standpoint. But of course the Rangers also have more leverage like, Oh, he's even cheaper next year. So <laughs> they'll play the market. And they'll, you know, I know they've already started talking about, you know, about him with teams. Anyway, so the next category is, eh, call it meh, but these names are healthy and they are available. This is Jose Arena, Irina, um, Merrill Kelly, Caleb Smith, Tyler Anderson, like nobody to get excited about really. <laughs> They're sort of back-end starters, you know, on a playoff team, they're probably, they may not even pitch much, you know, but they might help you get there in the stretch, you know, John Lester's among those, and I'm assuming the Nationals at some point, I'm not sure that's a, a correct assumption, but, you know, he used to be, you know, an ace, but those days are long gone, so he's now in this meh category. Um, so I'm not sure you're going to pay much for them, and, you know, and frankly, you know, honor numbers reflect that. Yeah, this category is just fifth starter that you're slotting back there so you don't have to use that rookie that's been struggling or mm -hmm. swing man. These are kind of guys where some of them you can talk yourself into a little bit. You can say like, yeah, Jose Arana, he throws hard enough. There's might be something in the tank there. He's still kind of young. John Lester, yeah, he's got this postseason track record. Chad Cool, he's been he's been interesting every now and then. Caleb Smith, yeah, he's shown flat. Like that's this is that category. Yeah. These yeah. guys where you can talk yourself into them, but in reality, it's it's probably a a mid four ZRA out of the fifth spot. You know, yeah. five innings, three earned every fifth day, something along those lines. Right. Yeah. So that's what's healthy and available. So you're not it's <laughs> not really an ace starter there. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, at the time I wrote this, um, you know, we also had the next category, which is good, but hurt. 
This is Max Scherzer, who's obviously the ace in the would tower over this field if he's healthy and you know and available. Um, Danny Duffy's been on the AL, and now he's just about to come off. And then there's still questions about John Gray and Matthew Boyd. Um, Matthew Boyd started off well, but he's got an injury that sounds kind of ominous. We're still not sure exactly how serious it is, but so this is the sort of wait and see category. Like you don't mm-hmm. know if they're totally back yet. Scherzer had a groin injury, and sometimes those can be annoying. Um, so we'll see. Uh, everybody's just sort of playing the wait and see game with them. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have two comments here. First of all, this this category is called good but hurt, <laughs> and and three of the names are Danny Duffy, John Gray, and Matt Boyd. Who... <laughs> I know. And they don't belong with Scherzer. I know, I know. Yeah, that, that's that's just the the, uh, the names on this list. The standard for good is that low. That I mean, Duffy and Boyd are having pretty solid seasons, but Gray isn't, and Duffy yeah. hasn't been great, and Boyd was awful the last year or two. Yeah. So like, that's what we're calling good in this market. That just gives you an idea of how rough the market is. And then on Scherzer, that's going to be one of those guys that uh, go to your earlier point about the sticky stuff. Yeah. He made a whole show of it. <laughs> Very entertaining <laughs> events in Philadelphia earlier this week between him and Joe Girardi. But his spin rates were way down during that start. And he's been the, right. uh, he's been the kind of guy that a lot of players and, and staffers and whoever are off the record saying like, yeah, this is a guy who's kind of been towing the line a little bit here. He's been pretty aggressive with the sticky stuff and now he won't be able to use it. And that's all kind of speculative and, and and just kind of hearsay, I guess. But his spin rates were significantly down during that start. And that's not to suggest by any means that Scherzer without sticky stuff is bad. But it's just another question mark into what we've already described, what you've already written about, is a very, very complicated situation with him. Yeah, the so, contract is ridiculously complicated and it's got yeah. all sorts of hurdles. So that's yeah. he's a long shot. <laughs> so if you were on the fence about Scherzer already because of if you're a team that wants to acquire him, say the Blue Jays, and you're already kind of on the fence because uh, we're kind of on the bubble. We're, he's a rental. He's older. He's had some injuries, and he's the money's going to be weird, and it's going to cost us some significant prospects. If you were already on the fence like that, and now this you see his spin rates are way down. He wasn't bad during that start but he wasn't max scherzer either that that's that might be enough to push you over the edge and say no we're not gonna do this we're just gonna run with what we have or promote a prospect or pick up a john lester and cross our fingers or something yeah so lots of question marks and you know that's hanging over the whole the whole field here Mm -hmm. um i will Next, talk about two good pitchers, and I'm going to underline good. They are good. Jose Barrios and Herman Marquez. The problem is we don't know for sure if they're available. The Twins, I I have a funny feeling, and I don't follow the Twins that closely, but I have a funny feeling they may just look at this year and say, you know what, a lot of weird stuff happened. We're not this bad. We're going to go for it again next year. We're not going to trade guys who are under control. We'll trade a couple rentals, but we're not going to trade guys who are core to our, you know, we're just going to try again next year and hope we have better luck. And so Barrios may be in that boat. They may not make him available. Uh, Marquez, who knows with the Rockies, if they're going to like have a fire sale or not. We, we're pretty sure they're going to trade Trevor Story and John Gray. But Marquez is under control through 2024. And they, in the past, think oh, every year they have a chance. So they might just say, okay, we're going to keep him and try again next year or the year after. So those are both big question marks from an availability standpoint. There's no question they'd be in demand if they were 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am 100% with you on the Twins there. Uh, they have done this before as well. They 2017, they made the wild card game, lost to the Yankees. 2018, they were atrocious. 2019, 2020, they're in the playoffs again. Mm. So they're they're not they're no strangers to this kind of weird one-year blip and during that year they traded i believe they traded ryan presley to the astros they Mm -hmm. traded escobar they traded expiring contracts only um actually i take that back presley wasn't an expiring contract but he was a reliever who was having Mm -hmm. the best year of his career so might as well capitalize on that they sold high yeah yeah so that's what i could see them trading a taylor rogers maybe he's kind of that similar mold there but they're not going to trade buxton i don't think they'd trade barrios i bet they even I bet they want to hang on to Nelson Cruz, and that might be something we can get to a little later. But I don't think it's it's a situation for a big blow-up because there is a really solid core there. And so maybe it's just the rentals, the Andrelton Simmons, and a couple of Jay Happ, Matt Shoemaker, that they kind of flip for whatever they can get for those guys. None of those guys have been excellent, but they just get what they can for them, and they try again next year with guys like Barrios and Buxton back. Um, and then on the Rockies, their front office is a mess right now. Uh, they Jeff, Jeff Breidick, they parted ways with, and since then, they've just been losing members of the front office every week, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, so are they really going to pull the... It's it's hard enough for them, I think, to pull the trigger on the Trevor Story trade with the front office in shambles, but they kind of need to since he's a rental. Yeah. He'll be a free agent after the year. But Marquez, who's their true largest trade chip right now, and someone who's going to be in high demand, are you really going to negotiate that deal with a few guys sitting at a table, a fraction of a fraction of what you want your front office to be there, not a whole lot of talent in your front right. office, is, is now the time? I don't think it is. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, the Rockies had two assistant GMs resign in the last two weeks, which is weird. It mm-hmm. makes you wonder, raise an eyebrow, what's going on there? So, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to speculate on the whys and wherefores. I just know that that's not you know, I'm agreeing with you. That's a front office that's totally unstable right now mm-hmm. and, and probably should not be making long-term decisions like what do we do with Marquez? And I think, you know, if if the owner, Dick Monfort, is true to his word, he's going to hire a new GM in the offseason. So, um, so they're just going to get through this transition period, presumably, and then set strategy again in the offseason. So you would think because of that, they would keep Marquez. Once they set the strategy, then we'll figure out what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Keep or go. <clears throat> Yeah, so that's that. Both of those, I think, are long shots for those reasons. Um, and I'm sorry to bore you, but I'm going to get to the meh. But I'm una- <laughs> maybe unavailable. This is uh, Mike Miner, Yusei Kuchi, and and Chris Flexen. Uh, Miner's been kind of up and down. He's once again sort of above average-ish, which is what he usually is. He was traded at the deadline last year for Oakland, but did not do so well. They moved him to the bullpen. And the Royals are another one of these teams that they probably think they're going to compete again next year. So, and he's gone to he's got a three year contract. So, it's probably he's probably not available. Um, you know, with you never know with the Miners and with the Mariners because uh, Jerry Depoto, their their <laughs> GM, likes to make trades. So Kikuchi and Flexen probably he'd be willing to listen on them. And it's not like that they're that great. They're just sort of, yeah, okay. Like number three, number four starters at best. Kikuchi has been hard to figure. He's sometimes good and sometimes not. Um, but I also wanted to mention Marco Gonzalez, who had been their number one. He's not really a number one. He'd be not a number one on other teams, but he's having a terrible year. And I see pundits still saying, oh yeah, talk to Marco Gonzalez. They talk to the Mariners about him, but like, 
have you looked at his numbers? They're horrible. Um, and he, he's lost a ton of trade value. There used to be a fair amount of surplus on his contract because it was a, a team-friendly contract. But as we've noted in previous podcasts, contracts are fixed like that. And when the performance goes down and the, the number of the contract doesn't go down that much, you lose a lot of value. And so that's where he's at. He's now negative value. So I, it's hard to see anybody trading for a guy like Marco Gonzalez, whose ERA and FIP are well into the fives, and he's still owed almost $27 million. And he's a soft tosser, so like he's a pitchability guy that, you know, maybe he, he's, he's lost that too. So, I, you know, I'm not sure what to make of him, but it's not a very attractive, attractive candidate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gonzalez aside here, I think this is an interesting category and kind of kind of a sweet spot here to me where Seattle and Kansas City could really take advantage of the market here. I, I We just explained why the Twins probably don't want to move Barrios and why the Rockies don't want to move Marquez. And I think those are very defensible. Like I, if I'm them, I don't think I do move, move those guys unless there's some offer you can't refuse on the table. But for minor Kikuchi and Flexen and, and teams in a similar bubble spot with similar pitchers, I think you got to capitalize on the market here. None of these guys are so phenomenal that you won't be able to find a replacement for them in the off season or at the next deadline. If your team is, if, because both the Royals and the Mariners are optimistically think they'll be good again next year, mm-hmm. but that's just, that's no guarantee. They, it could take them another two years. And by then miners, what 34, 35 and Kikuchi's mm-hmm. probably gone. And who knows what flexing is. So, I think this is that spot where you got to capitalize on these guys now. Yes, it might be nice to have Mike Miner in your rotation next year if you think the Royals are going to be good, but is Mike Miner really that big of a fall from whoever you could sign in free agency or, or trade for if you do find yourself contending? So I think you got to capitalize on the market right now. They could get way more for Miner or Kikuchi or Flexen than they would in a typical market. And those prospects can either help be a part of the next good core or... They could be flipped for a pitcher down the road. So I think this is the point where you got to capitalize on these guys, especially especially Miner, since he's getting up there in age, and, and Kikuchi, because he's shown some ups and downs in his career, and he's, it looks like he's turning a corner, but it could just be a mirage. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of that was coherent, but I fully support these teams trading these guys, shopping them aggressively, getting the best offer they can for them now. Um, I'd say... I wouldn't be too surprised if Flexen's market wasn't huge just because he doesn't have as much of a track record. I'm a big Chris Flexen fan. He was actually a, he's a Bay area guy. So he was, my yeah, he went to my high younger. school, Josh. He went wow. to my high school. <laughs> he went to your high school. He was yes. my pitching coach for a couple of years. No uh, way. At really? A facility I trained at. Yeah. Oh, wow. Pretty, pretty good guy. Um, that was back when he was in the Mets minor league system. Uh, yeah. but, and I'm and glad he made, he made some, a, yeah, he made some money in the in, in Asia, so he got mm-hmm. he got his coin, and now he's well, he's made some here too, so that mm-hmm. earned him a deal here. So good for him. Yeah, it, I was disappointed when he got called up to the Mets initially and struggled so much. I was really rooting for him, and then it's great to see him go overseas, have a lot of success there, and come back and still have some success. Especially he's on a he's on a hot run right now, a few good starts in a row. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So so. I think you've made some really good points. And if I can summarize, what you're saying is the market for starting pitching is so bad that the meh questionable guys that are at least probably available or maybe available will have market value because relative to everybody else, they look a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. And I think that's that's a great point. 
Um, the other point I would make in both of these cases with the Royals and the Mariners, they both have a lot of young pitching coming up. And so, you know, the Royals could afford to lose minor because they've got, <clears throat> you know, Brady Singer and Jackson Cower and, you know, Lynch and, you know, Mariners Boobitch have Logan Gilbert. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and Emerson Hancock is coming. So like the, the farms are good. The, you know, of course, starting pitching is always, you know, um, a bit of a dice, a dicey uh, prospect, but it, some work out, some get injured. So you always want to have a lot of pitching, but um you could, if you get a good offer for these guys, I can I can see your point that they'll they mm-hmm. might get a little bit of an overpay there because of the market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One last point here. Um, next off season, the free agent market for pitching is kind of interesting. You have Granky, Verlander, um, Scherzer, and I believe Kershaw as well, mm-hmm. all hitting the open market. Now, obviously, you expect Kershaw to stick around with the Dodgers mm-hmm. and. Verlander's a big question mark because he hasn't he's not going to pitch this year he only made a couple appearances last year he had Tommy John all that but that's a really interesting kind of four guys those four guys they have a handful of Cy Youngs between them they're all potential Hall of Famers and they're all gonna and they're all old but they all still have something in the tank I think so if you're a team like the Mariners or the Royals those are the kinds of guys you might go aggressive on for a one or two year deal to kind of lead a young staff like they're going to have. And so if you can not, obviously not putting it on writing it in pen or anything that like, okay, I'm fine trading Mike minor because I'm going to sign Zach Greinke. Obviously not saying that, but those guys coming up on the, on the market and being kind of attractive, maybe it's a good idea to get out from underneath Miner's contract, Kikuchi's contract, whatever right now, and kind of say, I, I want to sign one of those guys to lead my rotation next year as, as our team starts to get good again. I'm squinting. I'm sort of squinting. <laughs> like, I can maybe see, like, a Kershaw to the Mariners. No, sure. Like, I'm, like it's it's going to take some doing, you know? <laughs> it seems it's it, the most popular opinion for years now, every time this kind of conversation comes up, is that Kershaw is either staying with the Dodgers or going home to the Rangers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's I that's another good yeah possibility yeah and i, I mean i could squint again squinting <laughs> see the rangers put together some huge off season where they bring home the two hometown guys trevor story and clayton mm-hmm. kershaw but i don't think their window is there yet yeah. um I'd, I'd put a lot of money on kershaw just staying with the dodgers at this point yeah. not a betting man but if i had to <laughs> yeah okay so just to wrap it up Basically, what we're saying is if you need a starting pitcher, it's a minefield. Make an offer for Kyle Gibson. At least you know what you're getting there, I think. <laughs> you know, Try to pry away Barrios or Marquez, but you're probably not going to be able to. So maybe you can get one of these other guys like Flexen or Minor mm-hmm. or Kikuchi. So that's that's not a whole lot. you know. I think and what so you'll you see wanna... a lot of are, yeah. are teams that could use a starter. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind for me is Oakland. They're They've had some injuries in the rotation, and they do they really trust Cole Irvin as their fifth guy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Frankie Montas has been a mess. Lizardo mm-hmm. was just sent down to AAA. They could probably use a starter in a normal market. In previous years, they've done that. They traded for Tanner Rourke and Homer Bailey and Mike Miner and whoever. But this market, I mean, are they really going to trade for Joe Ross or Merrill <laughs> Kelly? I don't I don't yeah. think that really upgrades over. That's just another Cole Irvin wearing a different yeah. shirt and pitching with a different arm. So uh, right. I think that a team like that might be better off going aggressive on relief help 
And that's another thing that Oakland has done in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot of teams that are in that kind of spot. There's going to be teams that absolutely need starting pitching, and they're going to push hard for a Gibson or settle for one of those Urania, Caleb Smith, whoever types. But I think those teams that would like a starter, but there just aren't many out there, those kinds of teams are probably better off going aggressive on the bullpen because there's yeah. always there's always relief arms to be had. Even if they're not the most attractive, you can find someone in the Tigers bullpen that throws hard and has a high ERA and say, I'm let's, let's take a chance on him. Like that's those kind of guys are everywhere. Yeah. And actually that's probably my next article. <laughs> you know, what is the, what does the reliever market look like? So look for that in a week or so. <clears throat> awesome. Looking forward to it. Um, so now we have, as I mentioned, two more articles. Uh, this first one is by Kevin Goldstein. Now a fan graphs, um, Many of you will likely know of Goldstein. He spent a lot of time with the Astros. Before that, he was with Baseball Prospectus, correct? Uh, yeah. Yes, Baseball Prospectus. That was that was a little bit before <laughs> before I got too into any of this stuff. But I uh, spent a lot of time with the Astros, and now that he's at Fangraphs, he's written kind of a series of articles over the last few months that just give a bit of a behind-the-scenes to front office uh, shenanigans, how, how things work in front offices. And his latest article here from yesterday is why teams wait to make trades. And he's kind of explaining why trades like the William Adamas trade, the Orlando Arcia trade, why those aren't as common. And and fans always clamor, oh my God, my, my team is in the playoff position right now, but their bullpen is terrible. Why can't they just trade for a couple relievers in May? Like they know they need the upgrade. Why not do it? And he really explains here that on both the buyer's end and the seller's end, there's really good reasons to just sit tight. And and the main reason for both ends is just the bubble teams, is that the sellers are waiting for some of those bubble teams to fall out of the race, or excuse me, excuse me, for some of those bubble teams to to decide that they are contenders, which they are going to wait as long as they can to decide. If you're a 500 team on June 24th, you don't want to push all your chips in because on July 24th, you might be 10 games under 500. You don't know what's going to happen there. You don't want to waste prospects on on pieces now. So those teams on the bubble are waiting as long as they can to make their move, and the sellers want to wait because right now, if you only have, let's just say, 10 between the two leagues, 10 for sure contenders that are willing to give up prospects for your... Let's, let's use the Mariners and Kendall Graveman as an example. If you have Kendall Graveman and you're the Mariners, you have 10 teams that are very interested in him right now, and then probably another five or seven teams on the bubble that are thinking about it but aren't ready to make a move. Now, you wait another month. Suddenly, you have 10 teams that are still very interested because they're all contenders and everybody needs relief pitching. And then of those seven bubble teams, maybe four of them have decided, all right, we're going for it. So now you have 14 teams. And that just gives you four more teams for him to go to. That gives you four more teams to potentially overpay for him and to start more of a bidding war there. And so there's no real reason for the sellers to move guys earlier than they really have to, earlier than that deadline, because any additional they can charge a little bit more for a guy at the end of July or excuse me, at the end of June than at the end of July, because you're getting another month of him, but that's kind of counteracted by the lack of competition. So yeah, it kind of, it kind of balances itself out there. Um, and then on the buyer's side, it's kind of the same thing, but flipped there. It, there's a lot of these bubble teams that haven't decided if they're going to sell yet. So maybe you might pay X price for Kendall Graveman today, but the angels fall out of it and you want Raciel Iglesias, 
maybe you want him more than Kendall Graveman, or maybe he's going to be cheaper than Kendall Graveman at the deadline, but he's not available yet because the Angels are still kind of hovering. So I, I hope that'll make sense. <laughs> it, yeah, it does. It, it, I'll link it's, to this article for sure. <clears throat> he does a great job explaining it. Yeah, um, it, it's in a nutshell, it's basically supply and demand, yeah. the factors that drive those. So, you know, the buyers are saying, oh, um, let's wait for more supply because, you know, that that lowers my price. Um, mm-hmm. And the sellers are saying, let's wait for more demand because that increases my price. So, you know, in the, the, the clubs in the middle are, are the ones, the bubble teams, as you mentioned, are the ones that are really kind of, you know, the drivers in a way, because you have some very clear buyers on one hand, very clear sellers on one hand, and the ones in the middle, everyone's waiting for, make a decision. And, and that's stalling the market. What's interesting though, is also, you know, one or two trades we've seen that were sort of earlier, were very specific and need-based. So the Willie Adamas trade, for example, the Rays knew Franco was coming, and we knew a lot of people who follow this knew Adamas was probably going to go because they needed to make room for for Franco. Um, the Brewers, you know, needed an, another infielder because the ones they were using weren't they weren't happy with. So that was a very specific need-for-need need sort of trade. And I'm sure the you know they were the Rays floated it to all the teams. Everybody talks on text message now, like, okay, we're shopping Adamus. Who's got? And there was only like one or two teams who needed it, right? So, <clears throat> so the market was very limited and specific in those cases. But with particularly with pitchers. You know, everybody needs starters. Everybody needs relievers. So that's totally like a supply and demand dynamic where it's all going to change depending on the bubble teams. Um, it may be a little bit more. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a, a somewhat specific trade like the Adamas trade for a positional player that somebody needs. And there's only so much in the market. I mean, you know, an outfielder, though, they got three outfielders just by virtue of the math, there are more outfielders. And so it's almost like pitchers. Um, so it depends on the position they play. Like a catcher would be very specific. If somebody needs a yeah. catcher, you know? <clears throat> uh, so we might see one or two of those trades early before, before the whole market really gets into gear. Mm-hmm. My gut reaction to this article was, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I I get it. And sometimes even I, as, as a fan, have to kind of suppress that idea of, come on, you know you need the help, just do it now. Like, get it done. Well, yeah. you can't get it done if the other side doesn't agree to a price that's that's fair right. because it's so early. But I wonder if there's something to be had here, kind of a first-mover advantage on both sides with the relief pitching market. Mm. Um, I, I think uh, th- this might be completely ups- – this is unsubstantiated, just pure anecdotal. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like – the relief market usually starts, uh, uh, aside from these like specific trades that you mentioned, it feels like the relief market usually starts a little earlier than the the rest of the trade market. Like there's a lot more trades for relievers kind of leading up to the deadline than there are other positions. And that's just because, like you said, everybody needs pitching. Everybody needs relief pitching. There's seven or eight bullpen spots per team that can be upgraded. And every contender can at least upgrade one or two of those spots at the very least, if not five or six. So I wonder if there's kind of a first mover advantage to be had there where if you're a contender, let's use the Kendall Graveman example again. You say it's June 1st, and this isn't a perfect example. I think Kendall Graveman was hurt on June 1st, but (laughs) theoretically, it's June 1st. You have Kendall Graveman. He's looking like a great relief arm. He's a rental, I believe. And is he a rental or two years? No, he's Um, a rental. Okay, yeah, he's a rental. And you know that from this point forward, he's established himself in the first two months of the season as a different pitcher than he was in the rotation. He's established himself as a very solid reliever. And 
you know his value because he's a rental isn't going to go up from there. The only thing that will kind of inflate his value is the supply and demand, the bidding war. But even on June 1st, you know there's at least eight or ten teams that will identify themselves as contenders and need relief help. So, I mean, how much difference does it make, especially for a guy like Graveman, where you're not getting a huge return for him anyway as right. a rental reliever? How much different does, difference does it make waiting two months for four more teams to join that mix where four more sellers might also join the mix and have more relievers available to them versus if you act on June 1st on this guy – on the Mariners' side, you're saving yourself... First of all, you're getting a good amount of value for him since you're giving the other team an extra two months compared to if you trade him on July 30th. Second of all, you're kind of protecting yourself from, okay, he's been great for these first two months. What if that's all smoke and mirrors? What if he just collapses and turns back into yeah. old Kendall Graveman? And on the buying side, maybe the reason you don't pull the trigger is because you're scared of that. But also on the buying side, there's plenty of incentive. You can get an extra 15 or 20 innings out of this guy by trading for him two months early. And those could be a huge upgrade for you over whoever your worst reliever in your bullpen is or whoever you would have been using in medium to high leverage before that. I, I think in the relief market, there is some room there for teams to... I don't know if they're acting as efficiently as they could be. Um, and it's real easy to, for me to say that from my couch or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> I, no. I think there's something there. Yeah, no, I, those are good points. And the relief market is relatively stable. And I think maybe that's why you're making that point. Because, you know, there's always going to be neat, 20 or 30 relievers that get moved and, and 20, 30 that could be sold and 20, 30 could be bought. You know, and, and like that's not going to change all that much. So why not just do it now? And the values of these relievers, as you can see on our site, are relatively low. There's one, there's two, there's, you know, they're in the ones and twos and threes typically. And so you're going to get a minor prospect for them. So what's the holdup? You know, I sort of agree with that point. Um, I would mention also there's an injury risk factor too, especially if you're a seller, if you're the Mariners and Kendall Graveman did spend some time on the IL recently. So, you know, you could have sold higher, you know, and kind of protected your investment on the flip side. And this gets into how we sort of value things. Um, a guy like him has to sort of establish himself as a guy who would, help carry a team in October. In other words, qualify for what we call the October bonus. And and early in the season, it may not be clear. He may fall off the map, you know? And mm -hmm. so, at least from my point of view, since I do the reliever valuations, you know, I'm like, at this point, halfway through the season, you know a guy, you know who's who's going to get that October bonus, who's not, who's going to, you have a sense of confidence, he's going to help mm -hmm. you in the postseason. You know, he's going to be good enough to, you know, pitch a couple of innings against a really good team in the playoffs. There's not that many of those, right? But it took a while. It takes a while for him to establish that 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 credibility. Um, so maybe that's a factor as well. Yeah, me, yeah. Yeah, and that leads me to a larger point. We're talking about supply and demand and the variability here of the market. Um, but here we are, two guys who do valuations, you know, on a site called Baseball Trade Values, and we we plug a number in every every time we update. So. Okay, guys, what are we saying here? Are we saying the number is always going to vary by team, or are we saying this is the value? And I'm going to say both, because um, what we're doing is providing a benchmark, and we've talked to teams and say, okay, it's useful for that reason. And you know, it, we obviously know the price will vary from team to team based on you know the mix of of the package that they're going to send back. You know, mm -hmm. one team might like it more than another, uh, or the needs, or what have you, and 
you know, maybe sometime in the future we'll get really sophisticated about the supply and demand, the dynamic, and get make it per team per team. That's incredibly hard to do. So right now we're basically just hitting it, hitting it down the middle here, saying, okay, here's the benchmark. Here's what we think is the trade value for this person. We give a range, this, you know, and just and let people sort of figure out team by team who's going to go high, who's going to go low, and that's what we figure is probably our best bet. Mm-hmm. It, it, on the most extreme example, Max Scherzer isn't worth a whole lot to the Texas Rangers in a trade, mm-hmm. but he's worth a whole lot to the Toronto Blue Jays or the Brewers or whoever else. And mm-hmm. it, from the offseason, Jamison Tyon was worth a lot to the Yankees because of his cost control, because of their unique situation with the luxury tax, while he might not have been worth quite as much to the Padres or the Dodgers who were fine blowing past the luxury tax or a team like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just those little things, the little factors there. We do try to make adjustments for the market, uh, second base being the biggest example of that where we've just been seeing second basemen go for less and less and less in free agency and in trades um, year after year. So we can make those kind of general market wide adjustments, but we can't really, like you said, at this stage of the website of the system, we can't make adjustments team by team. And even then, even if we got to the point where we could, there would be a lot of subjectivity there where there's things that we the teams know and we don't and we have no way of knowing that oh yeah the pirates were really high on hudson head or whatever we have no way of knowing that until after so mm-hmm. uh, at least for now this is the best form that this website that our system can be in is kind of the market neutral mm-hmm. value of each of these guys and we can explain after the trade yeah this one was a little bit off because of this because he's worth more to this team because of this because this team loved this prospect whatever uh, but as you said our values are a benchmark they're they're a stepping off point so they're they're not the law but they're a pretty good idea of where these guys should settle in yeah exactly <clears throat> all right with that being said that our values are not the law let's let's rip into uh let's use those values to rip into an article shall we ah okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, we're not going to rip into this one. Uh, this is this is from David O'Brien and Jim Bowden of The Athletic. Jim Bowden, obviously a former general manager with some questionable opinions on on valuation. And, and there, let's, let's listen. He's, he's a valuable mind to have outside of the game so that we can learn a little bit from him. But at the same time, there's a reason he's not still a general manager. No. Let's just put that one out there for sure. And then David O'Brien, who covers the Atlanta Braves for The Athletic, he's been... I like him a lot as a writer, uh, but as we've discussed in the past, when we bring up these articles with trade proposals and kind of dunk on them, it's nothing personal to these writers because their job is very different from ours. They're, they're, they didn't, they don't have this expertise in this field that we sort of do that we've developed. Mm -hmm. And and so they're, they're trying their best and they're, most of their trades are fit based and saying like, Oh, this team could use these prospects maybe at these positions and my team could use this player at this position that looks like a fair deal and they don't necessarily see that there's a whole lot more to it than just oh my team needs a shortstop i'll take andrelton simmons for (laughs) for trevor or i don't know for jacob de grom yeah it's not quite that simple yeah so we have this article and in it uh david o'brien proposed five trades for the braves to make and jim bowden kind of assessed them and gave his personal evaluation of whether they'd be fair, what he thinks needs to be changed. So we're not going to go too far into what needs to be changed, that aspect of it, because we'd be here all day. But we did plug these five trades into the simulator, and we're just going to take a look at how they uh, how they match up here. So the first one 
which O'Brien calls swinging for the fences. And, and as with all the other articles, this one will be linked in the show notes. Uh, so swinging for the fences here, the Braves here are acquiring uh, infielder, outfielder Cattell Marte from the Diamondbacks. In exchange, they're sending Drew Waters, Kyle Wright, Jaseel De La Cruz, and Braden Shoemake. And then he says, or a different deal that includes Dansby Swanson. So he goes through the explanation here. The Braves need some outfield help. Uh, Marte is playing fantastic. He's super affordable right now, multiple years of team control. He's one of the most attractive trade chips that could maybe get moved at this deadline. I don't think it's very likely, but it's a possibility. Uh, But the package here doesn't quite cut it. So we have Drew Waters, who's the centerpiece of this package at 43.1. Okay, that's a solid start there. He's a switch hitting outfield prospect. A real high upside there. That's that's maybe the type that the D-backs would look at as a centerpiece for Marte. Okay, that's a decent start. But then there's a big fall off to the second piece here. Shoemake, who's an infielder, recent draft pick, we have at 9.1 million. Kyle Wright, who's a former top, top prospect who really hasn't put it together, we have him at 4.7. And Desile De La Cruz, who has a lot of relief risk as a prospect, is at 2.9. So that package together is about 15 million short of what we have as fair value for Marte, which is 74.1. But on top of that, you might expect Marte, given the teams, given the years of control, given the D-backs kind of ideal timeline, you might expect them to want more of an overpay for him. So that he, he might might even be a little bit higher than that 74.1. So just off the bat, seems like that proposal is a little low. And then he says, or a different deal that includes Dansby Swanson. Well, I just went ahead and added Dansby Swanson to this deal. And we have Swanson at 19.2, and that makes this a pretty fair deal. Um, from the value perspective, and I think from my perspective as well. It's 79 million going to the D-backs, and then obviously Marte's 74.1 going to the Braves. So that's the first deal. It's not atrocious, but it's also not great unless you kind of fiddle with it in a way that I don't think O'Brien intended. Uh, What are your thoughts there? No, I think you nailed it. Um, Just that I don't, I I may have said this on a previous podcast, but I don't think Cattell Marte will be available. I think, um, you know, the Diamondbacks, generally don't blow it up and he is their best chip and best player and keep in mind their gm mike hazen is on medical leave so the mm-hmm. assistant is running the show and i don't think he's gonna say hey boss look what i did i traded the <laughs> you know that's just not gonna happen you know um they'll set reset strategy in the off season i think they'll sell the rentals obviously mm-hmm. and, and get what they can for them i think that's assistant GM's job to do uh, while he's in his out. But I don't think he's going to make a blockbuster deal for, for for Marte for that reason. And I do agree with you that it would require an overpay. And even if he, if he got blown away, he would call Hazen and say, hey, Mike, somebody you won't believe this, but somebody just offered us the moon. And I'm like, maybe that, you know, but I don't think anybody's going to do that. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think the D-backs are a little bit similar to the Twins, not to the same extent, but they did not expect to be anywhere near this bad. And I think their kind of planned timeline was kind of like we were talking about with the Royals and the Mariners was start to contend a little bit next season. They have some really big prospects that should be ready uh, next season, maybe even late this season, talking Christian Robinson, Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll. Uh, They got some Mm -hmm. interesting young pitching. They they have a pretty strong farm system and they have some interesting young pieces at the big league level talking about Marte, uh, Josh Rojas, a couple other guys. And it just hasn't worked at all for them. But I don't think I don't think this one bad season with this one horrible stretch of games and the low, road losing streak that they're on almost historic. I don't think that's going to sway the opinion too much there. I think they're still looking at, 
you know, 500 or better next season. It's not a long-term rebuild. They've already kind of done that. They already have all the talent in their system. It's just a matter of getting it to the big leagues and putting it all together. So I, I agree. I don't think trading Marte makes a whole lot of sense here unless, unless like you said, they're, <laughs> unless the Rays are offering Wander Franco or something. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, and he was off on the valuation as well. So, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Number two, I'd say is actually the best of these offers. So this one, is the Pirates sending closer Richard Rodriguez and outfielder Brian Reynolds to the Braves in exchange for Waters, as well as outfielder, I believe he's an outfielder, I'm opening up the wrong tab, yes, outfielder Trey Harris, catcher Logan Brown, Wright, and De La Cruz again. Uh, so he'll, you'll notice a common thread here is that O'Brien's kind of trying to trade the same guys over and over again, <laughs> and that, that might kind of contribute to some of the issues he has a little bit later on in this <laughs> yeah. article, because if you have a wrong, if you're off on the value of one guy and then you keep throwing him in every trade, all the other trades are going to be off as well. <laughs> um, but this one's pretty close actually. So Brian Reynolds has been having a very good season after a down 2020. So we have him all the way up at 34.8 million in trade values, which hitting outfielder, good contact skills, uh, not a bad get for the Braves. And then Richard Rodriguez, who we've talked about a lot, who you were on before a lot of people, John, was he's probably the top reliever on the market, uh, assuming yeah. that a guy like Hader won't get dealt because the Brewers are in it. Uh, Rodriguez, we have at 10.9 million. He's nothing. He's pretty much fastball only, but it's it's really impressive what he does. I don't I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Um, so that total is 45.7. And then going back the other direction, we have Waters again at 43.1, Wright at 4.7, Harris at 2.6, an outfield prospect, De La Cruz at 2.9, and then the catcher, Brown, at 1.4 million. So that comes out to 45.7 for the Braves, 54.7 for the Pirates. So that's at least within reason there. A slight overpay probably, um, but within reason there, I think. Yeah, and Reynolds is probably going to go up in value a little bit on our next update, I would imagine. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's not bad. Um, but I got a comment on your point there. You know, if he keeps trying to trade Kyle Wright and Jaseel De La Cruz, there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, these guys are basically failed or close to failing prospects. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, and and this is what a lot of fans of teams do is they say, okay, well, this guy's expendable and that guy's expendable. But you got to think, well, why would anybody want them then? You know, especially if you've got a good trade chip. It's generally not how trades work. And I would imagine David O'Brien should know this. Nothing against him. But you don't want to just like, okay, who's expendable over here on the scrap heap for like, a you know, some quality. It's not generally, you know, going to happen. So I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to point out, give credit where credit is due. Bowden was right on it with this one. He says, if I'm the Pirates, I would make that deal so fast your head would spin. I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah. But he did say... I think a package of Waters, De La Cruz, and Wright is fair for both sides. Mm-hmm. And if you if you take out Harris at 2.6 and Brown at 1.4, that's minus four. That brings the deal even closer together. And that means yeah. it's only a quote-unquote overpay of about $5 million by the Braves. So the, credit to you, Jim. <laughs> you got yeah, that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, now, David, we got to talk about this third one here. <laughs> this was the one that caught my attention. It caught your attention. John and I saw it on Twitter being being yeah. about a bit. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so this one's rough, guys. This one goes directly into what I, what we were just saying about Wright and De La Cruz, and they got flaws. There's a reason other teams aren't lining up to trade for him. So this one, O'Brien has the Braves acquiring Brios from the Twins. Okay. 
the Braves need some frontline starting pitching. I get it. They've had some injuries, Freed and Soroka, and it's been a little bit messy there. I get the logic there. But you, but keep in mind what we just discussed with John's article a bit. The Twins aren't lining up to move Barrios. He's not a rental. They're going to go for it again next year, so they're going to need to be kind of blown away here. So I want you all to sit back and just think to yourself as I say these names, are you blown away by this offer? So it's Barrios for Tuki Toussaint and Johan Camargo. <laughs> this is the, I can't stop laughing. This is the... This is the equivalent of I'm a Yankees fan who wants Jacob deGrom for Miguel Andujar and Davey Garcia and Esteban Florial and Clint Frazier. Not even that bad. Guys. Yeah. No, no, I think this is worse. <laughs> so just let's, let's OK. So it sounds funny at first, but let's uh, let's see what the numbers have to say. OK, so Brios for a, a year and a half plus October of Brios, it's going to it's twenty nine point seven in trade value. And that's because the salary's getting a little higher. It is only a year and a half, and he's been very good, but not quite elite. Okay, but that's still a pretty solid trade chip. Uh, let's see what the Twins are getting here. They're getting, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Johan Camargo at exactly zero, <laughs> because he's had a lot of struggles the last couple of years. And Tuki Toussaint at 0 0.1, because he's had a lot of struggles the last couple of years. So so there's a, there's a bit of a gap here between 29.7 and 0 0.1. Um... I'm not sure I'm seeing this one, Dave. <laughs> no, I think it's... A, yeah, no, it's not close. <laughs> I no, mean, uh, uh, it, this is this is right along those lines. Like, his explanation here was that, oh, they could look toward the future by adding a potential starter in Toussaint, a 2014 first-round pick who has flashed potential. He won't be arbitration eligible until 2023 and will be under four years of control. <sighs> yeah, but he's bad. His stock has fallen. He's a former first-round pick, but plenty of guys are former first-round picks. Yeah, that was don't... seven years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he goes, Camargo would be playing behind third baseman Josh Donaldson again, as he did in 2019 with the Braves, but given Donaldson's injury history, the Twins could use a capable backup. I think the Twins have plenty of capable backups along Camargo's lines here. They have uh, JT Riddle. They have... <laughs> Uh, they have Luis Arias spotting at third base. They have Sano over there sometimes. They have uh, yeah. uh, uh, Travis Blankenhorn, I think. No, he's gone now. Uh, but Nick Gordon, I rest my case. They have all these guys that are probably even better than Camargo <laughs> because Camargo isn't good anymore. <laughs> and then no. he says, it might take significantly more to land Barrios if teams such as the Yankees and Cardinals get involved. I think it takes significantly more to land Barrios regardless, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. He says, I would throw in another prospect from outside the Braves' top 10 to get him. No. <laughs> uh... How about two or three prospects from inside the top 10 to make it fair <laughs> yeah. in the first place? <laughs> yeah, like closer to the top of the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So and, what did uh... Jim say? Oh, Jim was, again, spot on here. Credit where it's due. He says, this proposal does not work for the Twins. It's so lopsided that I think Twins President of Baseball Operations Derek Falvey and GM Thad Levine would give Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos an immediate dial tone. Yes! Right? Jim's on it again! <laughs> this is this is interesting. We, we haven't been Jim's biggest fans in the no. past, but uh, he's kind of rolling right now. I don't know. He maybe, says, he, maybe he's coming to our site and we don't know it. I don't know. Yeah, even... <laughs> he's come around a little bit. Um, so I'm actually going to... So the last line of his little blurb here is, however, if they did entertain a trade, the Braves would have to start the conversation with Schuster and Muller in the initial offer. So I'm pulling those names up right now uh, to see how much closer <clears throat> that is. So Schuster... 
we have at six. He's a left-handed pitcher. I think he's Patrick Schuster. Is that correct? Jared. Jared. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> so we got Schuster at six and Kyle Muller. I know that one. Uh, lefty at 9.8. So that's at 15.8. That at least gets you about halfway to Barrios. So he's yeah. he's still probably a little shy. He did say they have to start the conversation with okay. that. So. But yeah. you'd, assume, you'd assume that means that the following pieces are lower in value, and that's still pretty light for him. If it was Schuster and Muller, and you're talking Shoemake and another decent piece, maybe, but that's also kind of one of those quantity over quality type deals, but it, at least it's a whole lot closer than Camargo and Toussaint. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so one last point to David O'Brien. So you don't try to get a frontline starter for two guys who are probable DFAs. You just, it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. <clears throat> two change of scenery types that yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that's I'll I'll just go ahead and spoil it that that's by far the worst of this bunch. Uh, but we still got we still got some jokes to be had at these last two. Uh, so this last uh, number four is the Orioles giving up Trey Mancini, the Braves trade Johan Camargo, who yet again zero in trade value. Kyle Wright. Yet again, 4.7, because he was a former top prospect who hasn't done anything. And Logan Brown, a catcher, middling catching prospect at 1.4. And for comparison, we have Mancini, who's been crushing it since coming back from his cancer issues. Uh, he's at 20.7. So this deal is 20.7 to 6.1. And, and Bowden, again, he says, another dial tone type offer for me. <laughs> All right, good for you, Jim. I, However, uh, he goes way too far with this one and says the trade uh, value for me would be Waters and Muller, which oh, that's, we have that's is a, about yeah. double the value of, more than double the value of Mancini. We have Waters at about, about 45 and Muller at, at 9.8, like we just said. So that's that's much higher than 20.7. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so look, Mancini's, He's only got, I think, a year and a half left. Yep. Um, yeah, and he's a first baseman primarily, so the first base mm-hmm. market is always generally, you know, even if we don't dis- apply the first baseman discount to, you know, because he can play outfield. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, that's why we have him at 20. You know, he's not going to go much higher than that because, you know, that's going to just sort of, <clears throat> you know, with time, it's going to erode that value. I think Waters alone is, is quite an overpay. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't see, I mean, I think, Trey Mancini would be very attractive to many teams, but I don't think there's going to be a huge bidding war for him uh, just because he's a corner guy, and you generally don't see that with corner guys. So, um, yeah, that's a bit much. Yeah, and then this last one here is the Mariners trading outfielder Mitch Hanniger and closer Kendall Graveman. So we have Hanniger at 23 and Graveman at 2.3, so that gives 25.3 total heading to the Braves in exchange for Johan Camargo, 0.0, Kyle Wright, 4.7, Jaseel De La Cruz, 2.9, and Logan Brown, 1.4. So that's 25.3 on one end, 9 million going back to the Mariners. And Jim, buddy, you couldn't go five for five here. He says he likes this trade proposal for both sides. Oh, I think at this point he was just trying to humor David because he yeah. keeps throwing in the same guys over and over at every trade, right? He's like, all right, fine. This one is, you know, maybe not as bad, but no, I think it's, it is bad. Hanniger will go for a lot more. Hanniger's been on fire. <clears throat> I think this is just speculation. And again, nothing against O'Brien here. I think he's a, a great writer and, and he covers the Braves very well. But it's really funny here to see the progression of Bowden's comments here. The first two trades, he gives a whole 
long blurb about. You know, it's it's not an essay or anything, but it's probably at least like 10 sentences, something like that, uh, for the first two trades. Then for the third trade, uh, it gets a little shorter. That's the Barrios one where he just says it doesn't mm-hmm. work for the Twins, and it's probably, you know, five or six sentences. For Mancini, he gives three sentences. And then for this last trade, he gives two sentences. Yeah, see, David wore him down. <laughs> He's like, you're going to take Camargo. Okay, fine. <laughs> and now we're getting into why Jim Bowden did not make it as a GM for any longer than he did. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you could just pester the guy and offer him the same bad player enough times, and he'd finally say, fine. <laughs> no. All jokes aside, this one again is short. Hanniger is actually a surprisingly similar player to Mancini. Just in that their value is pretty similar. The team control is the same. They both missed significant time with weird injuries. Uh, but Hanniger is uh, not quite the same hitter. Still an above average hitter, but not quite the same hitter. But he is a better outfield defender. Um, and he's a, a popular trade rumor candidate here for the Mariners just because they have that kind of exciting young core of outfielders coming up. And he probably doesn't factor into their timeline there as much as they love him. Uh, and we've talked at Graveman at length in this episode here. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those two being in the trade proposal, but they're going to need a lot more than, again, a DFA candidate in Camargo, a likely future reliever, De La Cruz. Like, yeah, sure. De La Cruz for Graveman is pretty solid straight up. I mean, it's it's Graveman at 2.3, De La Cruz at 2.9. You get a right now rental stud reliever in Graveman for a potential middle relief late inning reliever down the road in De La Cruz. That, That seems pretty fair. Yeah. But... If we say that that's fair, you're not getting Mitch Haniger, who's an almost all-star level, level caliber outfielder. Is it wrong to say that, that he's close to all-star no. caliber? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you're getting a year and a half of him, plus the postseason, for struggling Kyle Wright and struggling Johan Camargo and middling catching prospect Logan Brown. That's just yeah, not going to no, cut it. No. Now, <clears throat> you know, there's generally a quality for quality rule if you're going to give away you know, a good talent, even if it's with limited control, Hanniger's got a year and a half. Mm-hmm. You generally want to lead with somebody at least has some upside that's better than these guys. Mm-hmm. And we we used to have that kind of implemented into the site until it caused a few problems with the whole 50% rule, right? Yeah, because, you know, like the Clevenger trade for the um, Cleveland and the Padres, it was sort of more of a quantity trade, but, um, you know, so sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get a six for one, and we wanted people to have fun with that. So it's possible, but in general, it's usually led by one person, one one player who has a higher upside, higher quality. Mm-hmm. Or even if not one, it's at least two very solid chips, and then you get into the lottery ticket type guys. This is mm-hmm. a package full of lottery tickets. Yeah. That aren't even <clears throat> as exciting of lottery tickets as the Braves could probably offer here. I bet they have plenty of younger you know, recent draft picks or yeah. international signing. Well, probably not international signings given their sanctions, but <laughs> um, they, 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 you know, they have some younger, look at Schuster. Like, yeah, he's only at six, but that's a much more exciting piece than any of these guys. He hasn't, he's not like right in Camargo where he's already made it to the big leagues and struggled and his stock has fallen significantly. Yeah. I mean, two rules of thumb. You've often heard it said, you know, if if you want to make a fair trade, you've got to 
you got it's going to hurt a little bit mm-hmm. on 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 your your team side of it. You mm-hmm. can't just give away the trash. You actually have to give away something of quality that's mm-hmm. going to hurt you a little bit. And that's generally a sign that it's a fairer trade. Yeah. And and second point is look at the other team's perspective. Don't just look at your own team's perspective, which is what I think was happening here. Mm-hmm. It's the old adage if if both fan bases are upset, then it was a great trade. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, again, for probably the third or fourth time, I'll say nothing against David O'Brien and especially nothing against the athletic. Uh, but it's, there's a reason, there's a reason that, uh, David O'Brien isn't in a front office <laughs> and, and he's good at what he does. This isn't quite in his alley of what he does. And I'd be absolutely shocked if anything close to these other than maybe the pirates trade, that one was pretty good. Um, but if anything close to these came to fruition, yeah. um, and, and I can't get over the Burrios one, man. <laughs> That's a classic. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> like, like it was one thing when I saw the names and I was like, oh, man, I know those guys. I know Toussaint and Camargo were both, like, very, very damaged goods. Like, this this trade might have been closer to realistic, like, three years ago, but they've right. both gone significantly down since then. That was one thing. And then plugging it into the system and seeing, huh, Camargo's literally at zero. Toussaint yeah. is literally at point one because he's maybe a middle reliever. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, at least he provided us some some laughs. Yeah. That uh, was before good. we yeah, before we wrap up here, I just want to give a quick update on the future of the podcast and of the site here. Um, so in the coming week or so. Uh, It's going to take a little bit longer than usual this time because of some other commitments here. But in the coming week or so, we will be updating all players for July. We'll be starting with some of the more popular trade candidates, um, updating them with their full season numbers to this point, and then getting to everyone else as well. Uh, We will not be having a podcast next week, and then we will return to our trade deadline uh, every week schedule uh, for the remaining weeks of July. And, And we'll probably do something right before, right around, right after, maybe. We haven't ironed out our plans for trade deadline day specifically yet. Um, Keep in mind, I keep forgetting, having to be reminded, keep in mind that the deadline is on the 30th this year, a Friday. Uh, So we'll we'll toy around with a couple ideas. You know, we might do one before, one after. We don't know yet. But uh, after, excuse me, I'm pulling out my calendar right now. Uh, Starting the... Da, 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 the eighth expect weekly podcasts for the rest of July, and within the first few days of July, expect all players to be updated. And then uh, from that point, we'll make some further tweaks to the bigger trade candidates as we get closer to the deadline. Maybe tweak some minor leaguers, that kind of thing. But uh, that's uh, more or less what to expect. Uh, do you have anything to add there, John? No, I think you're spot on. We're already starting to make updates. Um, you know, I'm doing the relievers now, and we'll do the rest. Uh, you know, by next week. So. Uh, yeah, look for the – and you'll see some numbers move a bit based on performance and based on the effect of time, uh, but that's all part of the fun. Mm-hmm. All right, so this has been a very very busy episode, a lot of different things we hit on, and I think it was a lot of fun. But uh, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. we got a real busy month coming up. You do not want to miss it. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks to break down more news and updates and kind of kind of give a preview of that big, big uh, trade season that's coming up. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.